Let's open our Bibles back up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let me turn my mic on here. Appreciate that pretty song. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Great song. How many of you enjoyed that? Say amen. I was speaking earlier, I was talking about being raised in a preacher's home. and I was uh, at a restaurant several years ago, back when I was a youth director. I ran into a young man who was ended up talking to him, and we got to, you know, just kind of visiting a little bit. I didn't really know him, but we just got to talking. I looked down, and on the back of his hand, he had a tattoo, and on the tattoo, it, it had one of the most scary-looking, demonic-looking type figures that he had tattooed on his hand. I remember looking at that, and it caught my attention. I looked at him. I said, there's a story behind your tattoos. We were just cutting up with each other. He looked at me, and he said, you know, if I were to tell you the name of my dad, I'm not going to tell you who he is, but he said, if, if I were to tell you the name of my dad, he's one of the most prominent preachers in Orlando. He pastors a mega church. And I didn't realize I was talking to another preacher's kid. I said, really? And I said, uh, I'm a preacher's kid myself. And uh, we started cutting up, and then he started telling me how he has not been to church since he was about 15 years of age and started sharing with me the path that he had taken and, of course, the dislike he had for church and church people, all things Christian, all things God, all things holy, and he had pretty much given his life to every vile vice that you could imagine. And I remember walking away from that, and I remember feeling sad for him, the experience that he had growing up was obviously very different from mine. I was raised in church. I've said it before, I'll say it again, some of the greatest people I've ever met in my life I met in the walls of a church, in the confines of doing God's work. Some of the most sweet people, some of the people that I feel cared about people the most, I met in church. I've seen people make huge sacrifices for the glory of Jesus, and I've seen people do great, great things. Now, on the same hand, I've seen horrible things as well. I've seen Christians make some pretty horrible blunders, although they were members of the church. I remember growing up and seeing people that really hurt my parents and would say things and, and would uh, criticisms. And You know, one thing, you, you know, when you grow up in this, you see it's always the same. Only the, the, the names change and, the, and the, the church address changes, but the stories are always the same. It's people that will find some little thing and they just go to town on it and they try to discredit the workers of God or the people of God. And my mom and dad were certainly no exception to that. I saw where often they were treated very badly by people. Uh, and I've got stories. I wrote a book about it, in fact, entitled Walls of Glass. It's a book about how to survive being in a pastor's home. Uh, I tell a lot about what my parents went through, especially back in the 70s at a particular church they pastored, where there were some pretty intense things that they endured as they tried to serve the Lord. But you know... Growing up in this, and I was one of five kids that lived in that home, we all ended up in the ministry. My older sister, Christy, is married to a pastor, and she's a very godly lady. She speaks often at ladies' events. She's raised four children who are all four serving the Lord as well. My nephews, uh, all three of her sons are in some form of ministry. Her son, Keith's in Honduras right now in the mission field. Her son, Luke, is in Bible college training to be a missionary, and her middle son, Kurt, is on staff there at Riverland serving the Lord, so she obviously came through the ministry and survived it, and now she's a minister's wife, and she raised her kids in church, 
and now all of them are serving God. Her oldest daughter, Nicole, is married to the assistant pastor at Riverland Baptist Church. So we praise the Lord for that. My, my brother, Sam, is the co-pastor at Starlight Baptist Church, and, uh, and he is doing a lot of work there the, as he works with my dad, but he pastored two churches before this, one up right outside Ocala. In fact, Brother J.C. was a young man that grew up in my brother Sam's ministry. Then my brother went out to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and pastored for about six years. Then my father asked him to come back and help him at Starlight. And so he is serving the Lord, grew up in the same home that I grew up in. My brother Daniel is the executive vice president of Bethel Baptist College in Jacksonville, Arkansas, serving the Lord full-time. And uh, he's got a son who's already surrendered to be in the ministry in some form. And so we see that he's raised his children. He's got two daughters in Bible college right now. Uh, and then I've got a younger sister named Cindy, who is the secretary at Starlight Baptist Church. And she was the one, of all five of us, she kind of went through some struggles uh, and, and, and had to work some things out. But she rebounded from that and is now serving God. And she'd be the first to tell you that she made some pretty foolish decisions during some of her rebellious years. But, but I'm so thankful that we serve a gracious Lord and a merciful God. And, and Cindy is doing everything she can do now to raise her family in church. And she loves her church. Very, very involved and very heavy involved in many of the ministries at Starlight Baptist Church, and she's grown up to be a wonderful lady. Now, all of that, and of course, I'm your pastor, and you guys know, you know my wife and I. My wife's also a preacher's daughter, and uh, we grew up in the ministry seeing all the things that we hear preacher's kids all the time talk about. This is why I don't go to church, and this is why I hate church, and this is why I can't go into a church. Listen to me. I had everything that they had happened to them happened to me. And if you want to know, I don't go into details now, but I wrote a book on it. For 30 bucks, you can buy a copy of my book and you can read about it. I'm just kidding. But the reality is, there's some things that go wrong often in Christian homes. And kids grow up and then they, they don't have a love for God often that they should have. And usually it wasn't major things. It was a lot of little things left undone. Or a lot of little things that were done that created in them just a, just a bad taste in their mouth toward the church. I want to talk to you a little bit about it today. I want to talk to you about how to create a love for God in your kids. Now, what we just read in Deuteronomy 6, we're going to read it again, but bear in mind, this is what is referred to as the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment. Remember when Jesus asked the rich young ruler, what is the greatest commandment? And he quotes this verse, and he says, and the second is much like it, love thy neighbor as, as thyself. But notice this here, it says in verse number five, here's the great commandment, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Basically, everything that's in you, you need to give it, to be able to love God. You need to love God with everything that's inside of you. Well, that's a hard thing. It doesn't sound like a hard thing, but it is something that has to be worked on. It's something that we have to achieve. It, we have to learn to fall in love with God. And a lot of times, when you first get saved, these are, these are mysterious things. You're thinking, how in the world can I love somebody whom I, I don't know, whom I've never seen, I've never met? We have to work at falling in love with God. But we are commanded to do that work. We are to grow to a place with the Lord where He means all to us, where we would forsake all for Him, where He is the all in our life. And that is a, a great challenge for every one of us. That is the great commandment. We are to love the Lord God with everything in us. How many of you understand that? Say amen. Now, 
there's a second follow-up to this. There's the command, love the Lord. And then in verse 7, he gives us another command concerning this. You are to love the Lord. And then here's the follow-up command. You are to teach your children to love the Lord. Look at it. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. So we see that we are to love the Lord in verse 5. And then in verse 6, he talks about his commandments that, that he has given to us. We are to love those commandments, and we are to teach them and not let them slip. We are to teach our children the things of God. He even goes on, and he talks about writing it on the doorposts of your home. A lot of people really take that literal. It's not uncommon when Christians build homes. I think it's a great thing, but they'll go in and they'll write Scripture verses on the wood on the inside before the, the, the panelings go up. And often in homes, you'll see where there are placards and signs that have Scripture verses. A Christian and I have a big sign in our home that says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And of course, that's a, a biblical reference out of Joshua. And, and we take that literal where there ought to be Literally, uh, the things of God, literally on the doorpost of our home. We have several. I have a beautiful uh, page out of a very old Bible that has been framed, and I have that hanging in a prominent place. I did that because of this verse. I literally wanted in my home, on the doorpost of our house, I wanted there to be Scripture verses, and I wanted there to be evidence when people come into this house that we're living in a Christian home. You're now standing in a home that loves Jesus. Amen? We were talking about the fruit of the Spirit in Sunday school, and I was asking men, what are some of the ways we can bear the fruit of the Spirit? We were talking about our, our, our attitude and our walk and our talk. Then we got to talking about how in the very atmospheres of our home, if somebody can come into your house and it be a mystery, whether or not it's a Christian home, something's wrong. Something's wrong. There ought to be evidence in your home that this is a house that loves and believes and follows Jesus. Anybody with me this morning? So we see here where he says, literally right on the doorpost of your home, the laws of God and the commands of God. Now we see here this great command. We're to love the Lord with everything we've got. How do you create this love? Now we're instructed to pass these things down. Now I honestly believe that I'm standing before you today as a pastor because my mom and dad passed their love of Jesus down to me. I honestly believe that if I had been raised in a home where there was no mention of Jesus, I might be standing somewhere else right now. I don't know that I'd be worshiping Jesus. I don't know that I'd be raising my family in church. I don't know that I would be going soul winning and, and working at a church. I, I don't know that I'd be doing all those things if it had not been passed down to me, the love of the Lord, by my mom and dad. So I'm grateful for that. Some of you came out of homes where your mom and dad were not saved, and you found the Lord. You're the first link in that Christian chain in your family. And man, I admire you for that. Yet we can see that there's home after home after home around us where grandma and grandpa did not worship God and grandchildren now do not worship God and great-grandchildren do not worship God. And You can go back 60, 70 years since there's been a Christian in that home chain. Sometimes literally people can decide that I don't believe in Jesus and they can literally doom generations beyond them to one day die in their sins and not know Jesus as their Savior. What a horrible thought. What a horrible thought. I'm so thankful my dad got saved. He was not a, you know, a Christian man to begin with. Uh, he got saved. His goal in life was to become a rock musician. He had became a guitarist, and by the time he was 12 or 13 years old, he was a very well-known lead guitar player. He had been in several bands. By the time he was a teenager, he had already 
had, had been discovered by several uh, you know, different uh, uh, you know, talent scouts and was really on his way towards a world of rock and roll music. Then he met my mother. My mother was a preacher's daughter. And man, he was smitten. He wanted to date her so bad. But she went to church. So dad did what a lot of guys do. He figured he'd just play along. So he started going to church to impress her and all the things that guys do sometimes to get a girl's attention. Well, in any case, to make a long story short, one day the Lord got a hold of my dad's heart, got a hold of it for real. He got saved. Just a few months later, he surrendered to preach. And I'm so thankful. I, I wonder where my life would be now if that had not happened. I wonder where my life would be if I hadn't had all those nights where mom and dad would sit up late at night as I was a teenager. And sometimes when I was talking about the angers that teenagers can have or the hurts that teenagers can have, and they taught me the virtues and love of the Lord, they taught me the will of God, and they taught me the patience of God, and they taught me that, son, no matter how rough life can be sometimes, God's always working. And they taught me that if you'll just let God be in control, He will lead you to a good place. He'll lead you to green pastures. And I remember night after night, sometimes that, that teen angst, that anger that all teenagers seem to have, I was no exception. And I'd be angry with people and angry at school. And I went to Christian school. So you know how it is. You get mad at a Christian school teacher. You kind of get mad at church. That's just the way it works sometimes. And I mean, my mom and dad would lovingly help me through a lot of that. I'm so glad because I wonder what my life would be like if I hadn't had parents that helped initiate in my young heart a love for God. I remember my mother sitting me on the bed as a little boy. You know, the very first song I ever learned how to sing, my mother taught me. Who knows what it is? I've probably mentioned it before. Anybody know? Anybody remember? It was Jesus Loves Me. The very first song I remember ever being able to sing, my mother set me on the bed, and she would sing that to me and get me to sing it with her. In fact, I got up in church as a little boy one time and sang that song like many other kids did, but my mother taught me the very first song that I ever learned to sing was a praise about the love of Jesus and how He loves me. My mother taught me this verse, and it was the very first scripture verse I ever learned. My mother taught me, I believe I was about five years old, where she set me down and she would have me repeat after her, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. And I'd repeat it after her, With all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 was the very first scripture verse that I ever memorized. My mother wanted me to love Jesus. Now, I want to talk to you parents. Here's the reality. The devil does not want your kids to love God. How many of you would agree with that? He doesn't want him or her to love God. He doesn't want your children to love church. He doesn't want them to love the Bible. He doesn't want them to love the things of Christianity. And you're going to be fighting an uphill battle, and the reason is very simple, because our flesh is so strong. Your children are individuals. They will end up having to make decisions on their own that we cannot make for them. We can only give them the best instructions that we can and try to give them the best examples that we can. Eventually, they've got to make some choices on their own. Christianity is something that cannot be imposed on someone. Do you understand that? I cannot look at Julian and say, Julian, you're going to be a Christian, and that's the end of this discussion. Now, he's been raised in a Christian home, but Julian will have to make a choice whether or not when he comes out of my home, whether or not he himself is going to live the life of a Christian. 
And I've done all I can to help him as my mom and dad helped me. I've tried my best to instill in him and Savannah and Adriana a love for the Lord and their mother, who even more than I do, she's with them all the time, teaching them that God loves them and, 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 and constantly helping them understand things from a biblical perspective. But eventually, Julian, the choice is going to be yours. What kind of home you have is going to be up to you. How you raise your kids, there's nothing I can do about it. There, it'll be up to you one day. And all of us are in that same boat. Our children have a mind of their own. They have goals and directions of their own. We can, there are certain things, though, that we can do to help our children have a love for God that will take them. The Bible says, raise a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, what is the rest of it? He shall not depart from it. We know that there's a way to train our children that will carry them from the cradle all the way to the grave. And I want to talk to you about this quickly. How do you create a love for God in your kids? First of all, by example. How do you create a love for God in your kids? First of all, what is it? By example. Do you love God? I mean, do you do your best to live by Deuteronomy 6, verse 5? As parent or grandparent, there is as much caught as there is taught from you. Your children are watching you. Your grandchildren, they're watching you. Do you exude a love for the Savior that they could catch from you? Do they see in you a love for the Lord? Do they see you praising the Lord openly? Do they see you praying? Do they see you loving God in your prayers? Do they see you giving God the glory and the credit and the praise for the good things in your life? Do they see you putting God at the top priority in your life? Now, they're going to be watching, and if you want to instill in them a love for God, one of the first things you've got to do is you yourself have a love for God in your heart. Now, that's the first thing, very simple, by example, by example. They see that example when they hear you pray. Even something as simple as, Lord, bless this food that you have given us. Thank you for this home you've put over our head. Thank you for the job that I get to go to every day. Something as simple as that, them hearing you pray in these things, shows them that you have a love and an appreciation for the Heavenly Father. Something as simple as seeing that you've had a rough week, but they watch you get up and get dressed on Sunday morning and come to church. And sit in church knowing that you've had a lot of reasons that you could have stayed home today, but they see in you a love for the house of God and that desire to be around the Spirit of God and they see in you, no matter what's going on in your life, you have a love for the Father. And by example, you, you're setting that example in front of them. You're still going to your church, and you're still praying, and you're still praising the Lord. Maybe it could be just by simply standing up in church and holding a hymn book and with a smile on your face, singing those beautiful praises to God that we have in these hymns. And they look up, and they have memories of you singing, Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Is that example there? How do you create a love for God in your kids? Number one, example. Number two, real simple here, but through prayer. Do you spend time praying for your children to have a heart for God? It needs to be a crucial part of every parental prayer. Lord, help my children to love you. 
Lord, help my children to discover you in their life. Lord, help my children. I was talking to a preacher, or actually he was preaching. We weren't talking, but he was preaching. He tells the story about how he had made some arrangements on a Friday night to go out with some friends. Now, he had told his mother that he was going to a certain place, but that was a lie. He was going to go with some friends to a party that he knew his mother would not allow him to go to. But he had his tracks covered. His friends were going to pick him up. They were going to go by this first place for a few minutes. That way he didn't technically lie. Then they were going to go over to this other party where his mother would not want him to be. He was in his room, and he was getting ready to leave, and as he was walking down the stairs, he heard the car pull up in the front driveway, and it was his friends, and they blew the horn. He was headed down the stairs to go join them. Had it all planned out. Big evening. As he was heading down the stairs, he passed his mother's bedroom. He stuck his head in there to tell her goodbye, and when he did, she was on her knees praying. He figured he'd wait till she was done praying for a moment, so he stood there in the door, but he could hear her words as she started praying, Dear Lord, help my son. He's about to go out with his friends for the evening. Lord, keep him safe. Lord, help him to live like a Christian tonight. Lord, don't let him do anything that he'll regret. He said, I stood there in the doorway, heard my mom praying that prayer. She didn't know I was there. She was just intently praying. He said, but the words that she prayed, it stubbed me like a knife. It stuck me like a knife right there. He said, I walked out in the driveway and I said, guys, I can't go. Y'all just go on and I'll, I'll catch up with you at school Monday. Listen to me, the prayers of a good mom and dad are so powerful. So powerful. Do you pray for your kids? Do you pray for your kids? Pray for your children. Pray for them. Pray that they'll have a heart for God and pray that they'll stay out of trouble and pray that they'll have a hedge of protection from that old devil around them. Pray for wisdom and knowledge as you deal with your kids. Number three, teach them that God loves them. Teach them that God loves them. You know, that's what my mom was trying to do when she taught me the song, Jesus Loves Me. She was trying to teach me that I'm loved by my Heavenly Father. Do you know that God loves you? God loves you. And you know, we've got to teach our children that their Heavenly Father loves them so much that He literally gave His Son to die in their stead. And that He loves them so much that He could find a way to forgive their sins and restore them. And literally, one day He plans to adopt them when they give their heart to Him. He's going to give them a home in His home. He's going to give them a place at His table. Man, I've shared this before, but when we stop and think about the grace of God, it's really amazing. It, it, it's something that I don't know that we can really fully comprehend. Somebody put it this way. They said that if, if, if somebody were to murder your son, and you were to go to the prison and tell that person that you forgive them, that is an example of forgiveness. I forgive you. That's not, and somebody might say that's what God did. That's not what God did. That you're stopping way short here. That is an example of forgiveness, and that would take a lot of strength. I don't know that I could do that. I don't know that I could go to a prison and thank somebody who murdered my son. Or not thank, but, but forgive somebody who murdered my son. How many of you agree with me? That would be a hard thing to do. Now, let me tell you, that would be amazing if that is what God did. But here's what God did. God 
forgave the person who murdered his son. And then he brought him to his house, adopted him, gave him his name, put him at his table, and gave him an inheritance. That's what God did for you and I. You see, you and I are just as guilty as the man who drove the nails into the hand of Christ. We're just as guilty. Our sin put Jesus on the cross as much as anyone else's did. And yet God took you, He saved you, He forgave you, He gave you His name, you're now His child, He has given you a place in heaven, His home, He has put a table, at, He's put a seat at His table for you to eat and dine with Him for eternity. Now that, my friend, is an example of grace. That's what God did for us. And we need to understand, our kids need to understand that God's love is an amazing thing and we have to do everything we can do to teach our children that God loves them, that God cares for them, that not even a bird can fall from the sky, that God doesn't attend the funeral for it, but God loves you much more than He does a sparrow. And Our children have got to be taught from the cradle on that there's a heavenly Father that loves them. We could teach them that through the songs that we teach them to sing and the scriptures that come from the pages of this great book that we have them help them memorize. And we can take life lessons and teach them about the love of God. And we've got to constantly be looking for those opportunities as parents to teach our children about the love of God. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? How do you create a love for God in your kids? What was the first thing I gave you? By example. By example. Number two, through your prayers. Number three, through teaching them that God loves them. Now, let me give you another one here. Number four. By teaching them to love the things of God. By teaching them to love the things of God. Now, what are you talking about, Pastor Riggs? You're ready to write some of these things down if you're taking notes. Number one, teach them to love the house of God. Teach them to love the house of God. Again, example is so crucial here. It's impossible for you to teach your kids to love the house of God if you never attend the house of God, or at least you're very sporadic and irregular in your attendance to the house of God. I'm thankful. I've never one time on a Sunday morning heard my dad get up and say, son, what do you want to do today? Sunday morning. What do you want to do? Do you want to go to the park? Do you want to go to the lake? Do you want to go to church? What do you want to... No, we, we got up and went to church. When we were on vacation, it was time to go to church. We went to church. I'm thankful, and I benefit from it today, but as a little boy, my mom and dad taught me the importance of the house of God, and they taught me that Jesus loves the church. By the way, He does. What is it that the Bible says? Jesus said that He loved the church, and what? What did He do for it? He gave Himself for it. I was taught that the church is very special. The house of God is very special to God, and I was taught through my parents' example and, and through the words and through the things that, that, they, that they, they, they showed me that the house of God is something that I need to love. Man, I love church. I love going to church. love being around church. And it's a good thing because I go to church just about every day. But I do love the work of God through the church. And I don't just love our church. I love churches. I like to go to other people's churches. I enjoy being around church people. I enjoy being around church things. That didn't happen by accident. My mom and dad helped instill that in me. You've got to teach your children to love the things of God. At the top of that list, the house of God. You've got to teach them to love it. How do you do that? Well, I think at the top of the list, you've got to speak well of it. Amen? 
Got to speak well of the house of God. Now, lots of parents have poisoned the well that their children now have to drink out of, and it's their own bitterness toward the house of God. You cannot speak ill of the house of God all the time and expect your kids to love it. You can't get up on Sunday morning and act like, ah, good grief, got to go back to church. Man, that preacher wants us at church all the time. Expect your kids to have anything but an irritation toward the house of God. You've got to love the house of God, and you've got to teach your children to love the house of God. Teach them that the church is a special place, and it's a place that Jesus loves, and it's a holy place. And by the way, it is a holy place. I'm afraid in this modern world, we've gotten so used to talking about the church as though it's just some building, or it's just some place like going to a mall or going to a, to a, to a Walmart or something. No, this is the house of God. Amen? Are you all with me this morning? It requires some preparation and some respect. It requires to be a place of some somberness and some, 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 I don't know, some behavior, amen? I believe that there's a correct way you ought to behave in the house of God. We're not at a baseball game, amen? We're not in a rock concert. We're not in a dance studio. We're not at the mall. There is a way that a church should be viewed. There are things that, that should not be going on inside a church building. And there are things that, that when you come in here, it ought to cause you to step up a little bit. I don't know about y'all, but when I come in this room, this, this building, this part of it right here, every time I come in it, I start to get little butterflies in my stomach. Now, I was raised as a boy that the sanctuary was a holy place. This is where we worship Jesus. This is where the preaching of the Word of God takes place. This is where lives are changed. This is where the dead are buried. Not literally buried, but you know what I mean. This is where we say the final words over people for their whole life. This is where people are joined in holy matrimony to do one of the most sacred and awesome things in all of, of the human world, this thing called marriage. It happens right here on this platform. Hey, listen, this is where we sing these glorifying songs to Jesus. This is where we take the Lord's Supper. This is where people are saved. Right there is where people follow the Lord in baptism, one of the most holy moments in a person's life. We've got to teach our children to love the church. It's not just some building. It's not just some place. It's not just some other place that you go to during the week. This is a holy place where we go to literally meet with God. Is that old-fashioned or what? It's still the same today. For the Woody, it's not so in a lot of churches. They've reduced it down to being just some entertainment place. Boy, I don't like that. I don't like that current mood. I want my children to understand that this, the church they attend is their church. There's lots of churches out there, but this is our church. This is our church. And to love our church and, and to, to, to love where they get to worship God and to speak well of it. Now here's the thing, folks. In order for your kids to love the church, it's going to start with you loving the church. You love the church and you send that down to them by example. Okay, let me, let me build on this then. How do you create a love for God in your kids? Teach them to love the house of God. Teach them to love, number two, the people of God. The people of God. Now here's where we can get in a little trouble. Did you know that people of God can be irritating sometimes? Did you know that sometimes you come to the house of God and sometimes the people of God are the problem? Sometimes they're the ones that can be rude. 
Sometimes they're the ones that can be uh, moody, grouchy. You know, I love everybody I've ever pastored, but I've pastored people who could be grouchy on Sunday morning. You go up to them and try to be sweet, and you walk away saying, man, I wish I would just that one alone. And bite your head off. Man, every church has got that. Every church has got people, therefore every church has problems. And I've seen people in church commit horrible sins. I've seen some of them repent and God changed their life and, and, and it becomes something that God can use for His glory. I've seen some of them refuse to repent. and I've seen them sometimes fall out of their practice of Christianity over it. But I do know this. Growing up a preacher's kid, I saw some pretty poor examples of Christianity, but I also saw some very, very good examples of Christianity as well. And I always was able to separate what people did from what God wanted people to do. Sometimes people in church are not doing what God wants them to do. Do you all understand that? Now, you're going to go to the church, I'm going to tell you up front, our church is full of imperfect people. Imperfect people. We, we are all imperfect people. And I don't mean that as a cliche, that's a reality. We have good days, we have bad days. We have good months, we have bad months. Some people go through bad seasons where they're just not living like a Christian should and they get rebellious and they get backslidden. I'm so grateful that in the 16 years I've been here, I've seen some people get out of God's will and then through loving them and just being sweet to them, and not just me, but the church, We've been able to pull some of them out of that and back into God's plan. Some of them, though, are still out there. I'll run into them, and it's so odd. I can't get them to come back to church. But when I do run into them, they're so sweet and nice. And when they have troubles and problems in their life, often, you all may not realize this, but there's people who have not been to our church in years. And I don't whatever the reasons are, there's always different reasons, but some of them still call me regularly for counsel. I've been to the hospitals to visit. Some of you have gone with me here recently. I spent a Saturday not long ago visiting several people in the hospital of which not one of them attended our church anymore. And I really don't know why. It's a mystery to me why they got out. But when they were down, they knew who to call. And I'm grateful for that. I'm glad that, that I have a chance to show them the love of Christ and show them that that we love them still, and I'm always leaving them with an encouragement. Hey, why don't you come on back? I know what I need to. I need to, preacher. Yeah, you need to. Get on back here. We love you. Sometimes they're just embarrassed. Maybe it's been a year since they came, and, and they just think we'd all be mad at them. We wouldn't. By the way, we wouldn't. We wouldn't be mad at them. Good grief, man. All of us have been at times where our spirit was weak, or we got diverted. How many of you agree? Say amen. amen. We love it when people come back to church. We love it. It's a victory for us. We say, oh, victory in Jesus when that happens, man. Because we know the house of God's a beautiful place and it's a great place. And this is a place of love and it's a place of safety and it's a place where you're going to do better following God in church than you're going to do outside of church. And I've been out there visiting with them and, and having visits with them. <sighs> I tell you, though, we've got to teach our kids to love the people of God in spite of their flaws, in spite of their personality differences, in spite of their behavior at times. You know, everybody that comes to church doesn't have to come to church. 
Everybody in this room right now, none of you had to be here. You chose to be here this morning. And you're part of a small percentage of people because a lot of people should be in church and are not. We've got to take it easy on each other a little bit sometimes. But the reality is, is this. You've got to, got to teach your kids to love the, the people of God. Now let me caution you. You can turn your kids against church and therefore turn them against the Lord because it usually goes hand in hand. You see kids get angry at church, they usually end up angry at God as well. If they drop out of church, chances are good they quit following God altogether. Am I right about that? Be careful how you speak about your fellow church members. Be careful. Man, we've all done it. Sometimes we forget them little ears are back there. Somebody made you mad this morning. They came in here and sat in your pew. Got your seat, man. Or they spoke to you rudely, or they didn't speak to you at all. Or they did the absolute abominable sin in a Baptist church. They got the last piece of fried chicken, knowing that you hadn't had one yet. That was their third time through the line. Amen? Oh, my soul. Brother Howard said, where three or four Baptists gather, a chicken must die. He's so right about that. And I've stood and I've watched, you know, church folks all these years, and I've seen people, adults, behave like children. And I stand there amazed, and I'm like, wow, really? Listen, you guys need to always remember, by the way, your behavior reflects on Jesus, but it also reflects on Orlando Baptist Temple. When you're up here, walking the halls of this church, how you speak to people can often determine whether or not they're going to stay in church. And I know that's a lot of pressure. But when people lose their love for the people of God, it's not long before they'll lose their desire to go to the house of God, and it's not long before they have quit serving God altogether. It's a chain effect. Be so careful to have the fruit of the Spirit, especially when you're in the house of God. Prepare your heart to come to church. Don't come up here and be a big jerk to everybody and tell everybody, well, I have the right to say whatever I want to say. No, you don't. You ought to be an example of the fruit of the Spirit. Whatever comes out of your mouth ought to be an example of Christ. Especially here at the house of God. Somebody say amen if you agree with what I just said. Be careful how you're speaking to the children of our church because some of them may determine, I don't want to go to the house of God because of the people of God. By the way they watch you behave and the way they watch you talk to people and the way you speak to them, we've got to be so careful. Teach them to love the people of God. Speak well of the people of God. Talk about the good things. Focus on the positive things. When you talk about your church, man, don't key on the church's negatives. We all got negatives. Talk about the good things at a church service every week on your way home. When you're having Sunday lunch, don't have roast preacher. And by the way, if you do, I hope you get heartburn. I hope you get indigestion. But I hope you'll go home and talk about the positives of the message, the positives of the singing, and positives that happened at the church. And your children will hear these things and it'll have much better impression on them than hearing about how much you didn't enjoy every service for the last month. You know, don't talk about how long the preacher's sermons were. Don't talk about how long or, you know, the singer was off key or whatever. Hey, those are things that are going to help your children not have a respect and a love for this house and the people in this house and you're going to regret it one day. You want to create a love for the things of God. What about this one? Teach them to love the men of God. Teach them to love the men of God. Teach them to love their preacher. 
Amen? Brother Ray, remember when your daughter was a little girl? You used to get her candy bars. She'd come up and give me, give me one, and she'd have a little note on it sometimes. Remember that? Janice, remember doing those things? Then you became a teenager. Janisa loves her preacher, though, and I love Janisa. Janisa was taught as an early little girl to love her pastor and to love her pastor's wife. I'm not trying to embarrass her, but Ray, you did something good that when you did that. You did something good there. There were times that you've called on me, and there's times that me and Janisa have had chats, haven't we? You know what? I had the freedom to do it. I had the freedom to have some talks with her. Because she loved me. And our love could stand the strain of some of the things I had to say to her at times. Me and Mikey. Mikey, you and I have had meetings, haven't we, buddy? And you know why you and I can have those meetings? Because your parents taught you to love me. I have little gifts in my office that you gave me as a little boy. Did you know that? You remember those? You don't remember those? Oh, you do too. You do? Okay. I got all kinds of things in there. But your mom and dad would... would would have you come down and see me, and you were just a little fella. We'd come in my office, sometimes I'd give you some candy. But you know, you and I are real tight. Now, you're, going to, you're heading into these really weird teenage years, man. These really weird teenage years. You hadn't even discovered girls yet, have you? Say no, say no, you've got family over here. Hey, there may be a time that I'm going to have to jump straddle this boy and pull him in my office and say, I'm going to tell you something, you better straighten it up. Now, if he doesn't have a love for me when that happens, I'm not going to be able to help him. And there have been young people here that I've tried to, parents have called on me to try to help them, but here's the problem. They were never taught to love or respect me. They were never taught to respect the office of the pastor. They were never taught that I was anybody other than the guy who puts his pants on the same way they do. And I remember trying to talk to them, and I was as one that mocked. But I've got some teenagers that, I mean, I was able to get in their heart. After a few seconds, you'd see some tears start to flow, and you'd see them weeping. Before you know it, they'd be on their knees and their arm, and I'd be my arm on them. We'd be praying. And some of them are doing quite well today, when it was pretty shaky for a while there. Hey, I know this. One of the things the parents did early that helped me do my job later is they taught those kids to love their preacher. Teach them to love the man of God. Not just me, but the men who come here to preach. I have Bibles in my office from my childhood. When I open them up, there are signatures on every, you know, all over the back of those. You know those white pages where preachers have signed those? When we'd have men in to preach, my dad would... It was like meeting a hero. I mean, my dad would talk about them in such positive ways, and I'd get them to sign my Bible. And I was just in awe of these preachers that dad had in to preach. Speak well of preachers. Speak well of them. Hey, teach them to love these things. Now, let me give you this and I'll be done. I have other notes. I'm going to skip to the end. My time's gone. Look at this, though. Here's some things that can create a resentment towards God and your kids if you're guilty of doing these things. Number one, don't complain about going to church. That's a pretty big number one, isn't it? Don't get up on Sunday morning and gripe and complain the whole way to church that you have to go to church. Your kids aren't going to love God if you do that kind of stuff. Don't complain about people at church, number two. Number three, be careful about hypocrisy in your personal life. Your kids will see it. Your kids will see it. Be careful about it. It will turn them off of your Christianity when they see you living in a hypocrisy 
mode. Amen? Am I, am I right about that? Number four. Be careful about viewing only the negatives at your church. Number five. Be careful about using God as a negative force in your life. You know what I'm talking about there? You know, when I, I had a teacher here one time that wanted to discipline kids by making them write chapters of the Bible on paper. And I, I heard about it. I called the teacher in my office and I said, listen, I don't want you doing that. She said, well, why? It, it would reinforce the Bible. I said, no, you're taking something that's beautiful and lovely and turning it into a punishment. I don't want kids to, when they think of the Bible, think of something bad. This is something that should be beloved. I don't want them to have a connection to it where we're you know, basically spanking them with the Bible all the time. Be careful about using God as the negative enforcer all the time with your kids. You know, God's going to get you for that. You know, they've got to be careful when you create this image of God that He's this ultra angry, ready to strike everybody with a bolt of lightning. You want to create in the kids in your home, an image that God loves them. Not that image of this angry God who's, who's just ready to lash out at them at all times. Amen? And, and be careful about using the Bible as a punishment tool. You know, using the Bible when you're, when you're mad at them and all those kinds of things. Be careful about that. It'll create a negative taste in their mouth. Be careful about using God's name in vain if you want your children to love God. Use God's name respectfully and use it in a holy way. Your children should never hear you using God's name in a, in a vain way or in an unholy way. All right? Now, let me just wrap it up by saying this. Watch out for bitterness towards God in the church. Sometimes we get bitter, we get angry, we get hurt. You've got to watch out that in your children's life. Look, you can do all these things right. Sometimes kids just choose not to serve the Lord, and I understand that. But if you'll be cautious of these things... I believe that down the road your chances will go up greatly that you'll have children that are still in church one day and one day maybe raising your grandchildren in church. How many of you want that to happen? You want that to happen? It doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by accident. You've got to, you've got to train your children to love the Lord. I hope you'll do that. It takes effort, but I hope you'll do it. I want you just to bow your heads for just a moment. Again, this is more...